Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Michelle A. Berard LLC and Urban Book Editor. And I am so, so, so happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. And you guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel and has grown onto our own platform, but we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to say a great big thank you to my guest on the February 1st show, dating coach Hiroko Itaguchi. You can connect with Hiroko on social media at TrueYouRelationship and at her website, TrueYouRelationship.com. Hiroko shared her experience coaching professional women through their dating challenges and communication factors in relationships that we should all be aware of. If you miss that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the February 1st show, at our new URL, the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. It is very important that we share this message with the youth. But this message is not just for the youth, guys. Remember, we all need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now I'm really pleased to introduce this week's guest. Senator Barbara Robinson has served the people of Baltimore, Maryland in the Maryland State Senate. She considers herself to be a woman of achievement and integrity who believes in people and progress, not politics and power. As a member of the Maryland General Assembly, she refused to be influenced by shady deal-making and unethical government proceedings, and she kept her promise. She's been recognized professionally with many awards, including the African American Women in Business Visionary Award, Woman of the Year by Zonta International, induction into the Maryland Women's Hall of Fame, and she was even honored at the White House by Bill Clinton. Prior to serving in the state Senate, Robinson served in the Maryland House of Delegates, representing District 40 from 2007 to 2016. Robinson has earned three degrees, including a BS in Business Administration, a Master's of Education in Criminal Justice Administration, and a CASE in Education, along with 19 certificates of completion in areas like data processing, counseling, conflict resolution, and advanced negotiations training. Her extensive career accomplishments range from teaching inmates in prison to founding a multi-million dollar healthcare enterprise to developing the nation's first court clerks program for the district court, the Supreme Bench, and the Department of Corrections. So I want to welcome Senator Barbara Robinson to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Thank you, Senator, for being on the show with me. My pleasure. I am completely and utterly fascinated with you. <laughs> yeah, kind of a girl crush here, just saying. <laughs> I am really fascinated with you. Your story is fascinating. And I want to invite you to share with the audience about who you are. And so I'm going to ask you my two questions that I start each interview with. And those questions are, Barbara Robinson, who are you, and how did you become who you are today? 
Who am I? Well, I'm uh, a mother, uh, a grandmother, great-grandmother, widow. I've been uh, an entrepreneur, business owner, starting in the basement of my home with an unemployment check and uh, with ended up with uh, 162 people on my payroll and uh, turned that uh, business into a multi-million dollar corporation and we lasted for over 20 years until my husband passed and I didn't want to be in the business anymore so we sold the business and the uh, office building where it was located I owned that as well and uh, owned uh, 10 homes actually because one of my businesses was to provide community-based residential facilities for people with developmental disabilities. So I owned the homes where I put the people. Um, and after I had um, been in business for some time, it was during the time where I was constantly fighting uh, society, if you will, or fighting the establishment, if you will, because uh, I'm a black woman. And uh, being a woman and a black woman and a woman from the projects and a woman from welfare and a woman from the streets. Uh, and I went on and it took 18 years before I got my first degree, but now I have uh, degrees from University of Baltimore, John Hopkins University and Coppin State University. But it was 18 years because I was in the streets and so by being in the streets and coming from welfare and all those other things, naturally I wasn't with the uh, old boy network. I made everything uh, by the skin of my teeth. Even when I joined the uh, uh, group, uh, joined the, the campaign, started campaigning to become um, a, a representative, a member of the House of Delegates, there were nine people, and I was the oldest one and most inexperienced one, but I got in because my uh, attorney told me that I needed to be on the inside because uh, most black people uh, or most people in uh, Annapolis, which is the capital of Maryland, didn't understand business, especially didn't understand black business, and they needed me. So I couldn't get anybody to sponsor me, but I asked, I said, how much money do I need? And he says, you need about $100,000. But my family couldn't afford that, neither could I. But um, we did. Uh, what I didn't uh, get from my family and my friends, I wrote a check to myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, when people said I couldn't do it, and I said, yes, I can. You don't tell me what I can't do. <laughs> so I jumped in the race, and uh, I won. As a matter of fact, I came up first in most places. Mm -hmm. And um, then when the uh, uh, the senator, who was a, a friend of mine, decided to run for mayor, then I decided to run for her seat, which was the Senate seat, and won that one as well. Um, but it's, and I've also been uh, deputy administrator, district court, circuit court, the Supreme Bench, the first woman and the first black in the history of the court system to hold those positions. And uh, as I said earlier, I um, integrated the restrooms and integrated uh, and started women's wearing slacks and black women started wearing natural hairdo. And uh, when one of the judges who were, I was, uh, uh, 23 judges actually were uh, the appointed people, appointed rulers of this Supreme bench. When one judge said, either resign or I'll fire you, I told him to put it in writing, and he did. And I put that in the, my drawer, his letter in my desk drawer at home. And uh, and I went to Africa. And um, I stayed in Africa for a month or so and living with a family there. And uh, I knew that I wanted to start my own business. So when I came back from Africa, I started my own business, and that's the business that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and I've um, 
uh, I'm an author. I've written uh, uh, six books. Actually, I have uh, five uh, more uh, ready to be published, but I need to have them edited because even during the 12 years as I was with the Maryland General Assembly, uh, session is in during uh, January through April. That means from April through December, those nine months, I have free to do what I want. Uh, so I continue to write and continue to travel. Uh, and that's from Argentina to Turkey to Korea to uh, Mexico, Alaska, and Africa. As I said, I've, I've been around for a while. <laughs> and uh, so I just think it's just time for me to do my own thing now. Uh, I, I've been around for a long time. I ain't going to tell you my age on the air. I'll tell you my age <laughs> off the air. <laughs> well, I'm pegging you about 29, just so you know. Now, You're... see, you know my age. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> well, I've got to ask you some questions then based on the things that you have have said here because again I think I think you're fascinating I think your story is fascinating because you said that um well first of all when you were growing up this was not in a time like today which as challenging as today is this is a breeze compared to the 40s the 50s the 60s right absolutely absolutely Give give me a sense of what it was like for you growing up. I mean, you did you grow up in Maryland and you know? No. Okay. I was born in Alabama, oh. and I went to school in Georgia, Columbus, Georgia. Uh, my home was Alabama, and I always claim that, even today, I claim that as home because um, my mother married my stepfather when I was two years old, and. Uh, and that's where the hell of my life began with his family because I was never accepted. I was always this old gal or mm. bastard child. And uh, I grew up, well, I went to school in Columbus, Georgia, because that's where my mother lived with my stepfather. And as soon as school was out during the summer, I would go back home. And home to me, uh, as I said, was Alabama. But I can I I know uh, even in my first book I talk about um, uh, going into stores and uh, buying food at the counter like stores like Woolworths mm-hmm. uh, and then have to go in the back to uh, eat and uh, and I talk about uh, the restrooms that said. Uh, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, or male and female, and one of just color. I mean, we weren't even male, female. We just colored. Mm. Uh, and the water fountains, you know, white and colored. And I grew up in that, during that area. And I talk about uh, one of the episodes on, on the bus. when My best friend was um, Janie Mary, very fair complexion, and my skin is dark. And uh, how the bus driver stopped the bus and came in the back and said, uh, well, you know what, you can stay, but that little black one got to go, talking about me. And I refused. And uh, I talk about, you know, that area, that where he tried to put me off the bus and uh, 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 well, my school friend surrounded the bus and and was going to push it over because he he wasn't going to let me off the bus. He was going to take me to the police station because I wouldn't get off. I wouldn't move in the back. And uh, we were going to a football game. And my friends, when my uh, sister jumped off the bus and said, they're kidnapping my sister. And my friends surrounded the bus and were going to push it over. And I talk about that, and I talk about being homeless at 16 um, because I, my, you know, my stepfather put me out when I tried to cut him with a, uh, a can opener because he was beating my mother. Mm. And my mother was an alcoholic, and she eventually died from the disease. And, and I talk about how that's one of the speeches that I use when I go. When I've been the commencement speaker at um, several colleges. I've taught 
at three different colleges in Maryland. I've taught seven years in prison, um, and I've been awarded the key to the city in three different states for the work that I've done in welfare reform. Honored at the White House by Clinton for the work that I did in welfare reform. Uh, inducted in Maryland Women Hall of Fame for the work that I've done and featured in the book that was uh, uh, authored by, uh, well, paid for by uh, the First Lady of Maryland, and it was uh, Women of Achievement in Maryland History. Mm-hmm. So I've been around a long time, as I said. I've been around since water, but I haven't been stagnant. Um, so those are, uh, are some of the things. And my first book talks about that. Uh, my second book talks about starting a business because I started a business uh, from scratch. I taught business development when I went to Africa. Mm. Uh and I, uh, using my curriculum, I taught uh, business um, development and entrepreneurship and participative management and um, at, at the colleges, at the three different colleges, using my own material. Wow. Uh, and one college, after I stopped, had the audacity to want to bring in a white male to take over my class because they had gotten some complaints because it was in a white area and they wanted this white male to teach but the college had the audacity to ask me could he use my material now I developed my material but he Mm -hmm. wanted me to move out and are you kidding me you better do the same thing that I did and if you're smart enough to take over my class then you're smart enough to develop your own material there you go no no um, so I've been developing uh, my own material. When I went to uh, uh, Argentina, I used my own material. Uh, and one of my, uh, in my business, I had two, three businesses actually. Uh, one of my companies owned the, and that's a whole different story in itself too, uh, owned the, the, I was in transportation uh, one of my companies owned the fleet of vans. I had uh, uh, 60 vans, and uh, we had different um, uh, contracts with the city and the state. So one of my companies owned the homes. One of my companies owned the vans. My One of my companies leased from the third, and and so on and so on. That's so awesome. I've been around a while. That's that's amazing the the things that you've done. I'm curious. I'm curious. So, growing up in segregation, I always I know we talk about the the tangible things like, you know, colors only signs and you know, you can't drink from water fountains, you can't do this, you can't do that. But what does it do to the psyche? That's what I'm curious about. What it's not just that, you know, cuz seeing those signs here it is, you know, we'll say what, I'm, I'm not a great mathematician. I'll say what, we're looking at 40, 50, 60 years later in some cases. Um, what? Yeah, about 80 years ago. Yeah, so what are we looking yeah. at in terms of the psyche, though? How does that shift? How, do, how does that, what does that make you think as a kid looking at all the things you can't do? You can't do. Well, actually, it, it, it would make someone inferior, you know, feel inferior or feel less than and feel that you don't, uh, you're not as important as a white child. Uh, where I grew up, uh, there were uh, no paved streets. The streets stopped right there at the end where the white section, we used to call it. And the only time uh, that we would uh, uh, be in the white section would be walking through there on our way to school or coming from school. And uh, and it was like when you get in the, the uh, black section, when you feel inferior, you feel that you don't have to have that same uh, respect 
that you do when you're in the white section. Even now, when I was building one of my businesses, uh, I was putting furniture in one of my homes, and there was a, I had hired uh, someone to help me, and this black guy that was driving the, one of the trucks, and after he finished eating, he uh, threw his trash out the window in the street. And I said, why would you do that? Why would you clutter the street? Oh, we in a black section. That's fine. They don't care. I said, suppose we were driving through a white section. Oh, no, no, I wouldn't have done that because they don't play that. Mm-mm. You know, even now, we don't think, we, some of us don't value ourselves as being as important as non-blacks. Uh, the only way that I was able to leave uh, uh, Alabama and Georgia to come to Morgan to go to school is because two teachers uh, co-signed for me to uh, get grant money that was only given to white students. Mm-hmm. And uh, they stood for me and said that if she doesn't repay our we will stand for it. Now, they both are gone now, but uh, there was no money for black students during that time from my school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they said is that you have too much to give. You, you, If you stay here, because by that time, my stepfather was in jail for forgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mo- mother, as I said, was an alcoholic, and she wasn't an alcoholic that would get drunk and and go home and go to sleep. But my mother was drunk. Everybody in the neighborhood knew it because she cussed out everybody in the neighborhood and talked about everybody's business. That was also during the time when we had uh, uh, phones. There were not private lines. We had uh, cross-sections of phones, party lines is what they called them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, we had three, and that meant that three people shared one phone. Mm -hmm. And you could identify when it it was your phone by the rings. Someone would get one ring, someone would get two rings, someone would get three rings. But regardless to how many rings they were, if you picked it up, you could hear the other people talking. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and and that was the the type of life, so coming up in that area and not being able to share uh, things that people who did not look like me share, uh, you actually felt that you didn't belong, you know, for so long. Even I, I talk about in my first book, And Still I Cry, I talk about how I looked coming to Morgan because I had to buy uh, I took tra- a suitcase out of a trash can, and I bought an old army trunk, and I bought uh, men neckties that was in this pawn shop, and made a rope out of these neckties and tied them around the suitcase in order to hold them. Mm. And how raggedy it was, so raggedy that the conductor took it and hid it because he didn't want the passengers to see this old raggedy suitcase. Wow. And I talk about when I got to Morgan, I had one dollar in my pocket. Uh, and I had been riding for two days. That's how long it took then. Mm-hmm. It took 24 hours because we stopped at every little place, you know, between Georgia and Maryland. Uh, and and when when you don't feel good about yourself, you don't think that anybody else uh, should feel good about you either. And it took some years for me to actually realize that, hey, I'm somebody. Because had not, it would not have taken me 18 years to graduate from school mm-hmm. uh, because of being in the streets and being with drugs and a whole lot of other things. Uh, so when I came directly from Alabama, from Georgia, to go to Morgan, uh, I dropped out within the first year because it was fascinating to me to be in, in Baltimore with the bright lights and first time I was ever uh, had any freedom. Uh, so when you, you grow up in that area, uh, uh, in that era, and that area, uh, and you you see people looking at you and not seeing you, then you begin to say, well, what the hell? 
uh, until you just decide that, you know what, I am somebody. And you just take it upon yourself and say, uh, you know, you're not little Barbara Ann. That's, my name is Barbara Ann, and I was called Barbara Ann. So you're not Bob Rand from the hood anymore. You are Barbara Ann Robinson, someone who you have this education and uh you 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 can do this and it doesn't matter to to what anybody say, Yes, I can do so and so and you don't tell me what I can and cannot do. I decide who and what I am. So when we can instill that into these young people to say that I don't care what my mama did, I don't care what my papa did, it's who I am that makes a difference and who I choose to be and who I want my kids, my grandkids and my great-grandkids to see me who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, just this past week when I'm, I'm moving now from Annapolis to my office in Baltimore, and uh, I was going to, somebody wanted to come into the office and do some work with me. And when my daughter walked in and she saw, you know, the office where they were putting up all these different plaques and things. And she says, I am in awe, Ma. <laughs> Nobody can come in here and work because this looks like Barbara Robinson's museum. <laughs> 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 and, you know, and I looked around and I said, you know what, you're right. But I'm proud of everything because every everything up there is a scar. You know, everything up there was earned mm -hmm. uh, by who I have come to be. And that's what I want uh, my kids and, and those that are coming behind me. I, I stood on the shoulders of Hattie Harrison from Annapolis and, and Ruth Kirk. I, I know you don't know these people, but these are people that paved the way for me uh, in Annapolis mm -hmm. and, and uh, people who came before me. And, uh, uh, you know, when I was first uh, elected um, in the House of Delegates, uh, one of the reporters from Channel 45 had uh, heard about my story, and he came in and he asked if he could uh, follow me around one day and uh, photograph me, and he did, and it was shown on uh, Channel 45. So he asked me, he said, um, what do you, we stood in front of the state house. And he said, what do you want people to remember you as? And I told him, um, I said, you know, I've, people, my ancestors have been here. And at one time, the only way that they could uh, go into that courthouse, into that state house, was that somebody's servant. But now I can walk up those steps and I go into that room and my name, when I push a button, my name shows up in light on that board that says the Honorable Barbara Robinson. And that's a step up for people who never lived to be able to do that. So that's what it means to me. Wow. Right. So, so... When you are doing your work in the state house, how much of your past do you draw on to make decisions about bills that come across and, and debates that they're having? A lot of my past. Because um I went there to fight for small businesses, women-owned businesses, uh, black businesses. And um, I do that 
because I know how I was discriminated against in the court system and in business. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, one of the bills that I put in under the in the governor's office, he had a department called um, it was called it was GOMA Governor's Office of Minority Affairs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that didn't say anything to me about uh, how what 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 it did offer to women and to minority businesses to African American businesses. So I put in a bill, and it took me two years to get it through to change the name in the governor's office to Small Minority and Women Business Owners Department, mm-hmm. and my bill passed. I also, um, one of the mayors um, didn't know what to do with minority businesses, so he put all minority businesses. He claimed uh, that um, 501c3 nonprofits were also minority businesses, which is not true. Right. So they they hired a company to do a study on uh, businesses in a 600-page uh, document. So I got a copy of the document, and I started reading it, and I said we didn't have to talk about how we were discriminating. Yes, we know that we've been discriminated against for years, but okay, I played a game. So I put in a bill that separated um, nonprofits from minority businesses. I didn't know that they were actually meeting about that in the governor's office in the state house in Annapolis until someone called me and said, and I was a delegate then, I wasn't a senator. Someone called me and said, um, delegate, you know that they're having a meeting today at 10 o'clock. I said, what time is it now? They said, 7 a.m. I said, okay. I jumped in my clothes and I jumped on the highway and I headed for Annapolis. Mm-hmm. And when I walked in, I, I told the lieutenant governor, who was a, a black guy at the time, I said, I want to speak. And when I walked in, there was wall to wall of people who did not look like me. <laughs> and I walked in and I said, I want to speak. So I walked up to the podium and everybody got quiet because what is this black woman going to say? <laughs> in front of all of us. So I just started, I said, I know that you're not going to change, but there's a contract that's being uh, uh, awarded in Annapolis, and I just went through blah, blah, blah. And I said, and you also say that minority businesses, number one, I don't know why you keep calling us minority instead of African Americans, but okay, we'll go along with that, et cetera, et cetera. And I said that <clears throat> I'm going to put in a bill to separate 501c3 nonprofits from uh, minority businesses uh, being categorized as minority businesses because every time you talk about the amount of money that you put, uh, that you allot for minority businesses, you include 501c3 nonprofits in that, which is not true. Mm-hmm. So it took five years for me to get that bill passed, but after it did pass, it allowed it. $800 million to be given to women and uh, African-American and minority businesses. Wow. So those, and I also, uh, I fight for uh, 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 but not only minority businesses, but uh, uh, grandparents' bill of rights. I had a bill in for that. Uh, because, you know, when people separate, they were excluding grandparents from being able to see their children specifically if they had already bonded uh, with the children prior to the marriage being uh, broken up. Mm-hmm. So I fought for that. I I, uh, I fought for um, things of that nature. I, you know, minority businesses, that's my forte. Right. And uh, each year... Uh, I, I'm one of the founders of the Greater Baltimore Black Chamber of Commerce. I'm also one of the founders of the State of Maryland Black Chamber of Commerce. I'm also past president of the Legislative Black Caucus of Maryland. And when, uh, and I'm also one of the founders of uh, Minority Women Business Owners. So uh, 
each year, and it started with 50. And uh, now we're up to over 300 businesses. I bring them in uh, once a year for MBE, WBE, DBE, Legislative Night in Annapolis. Uh, that's what I called it mm-hmm. for uh, for minority businesses all around the state of Maryland to come in and uh, be able to meet with their legislators because a number of them don't know who their legislators are and they really have not paid any attention to how legislation actually impact negatively or positively mm-hmm. impact their businesses. So I bring them in you know, at my expense, and feed them, and then uh, bring in legislators from different areas of Maryland to talk about what bills, what uh, legislation have they are they introducing that will impact them. Last year, uh, I had uh, 1,000 women of worth, uh, and I was going to do it at my church, but it outgrew, so I had to get the... Uh, uh, the uh, army, the United States. Uh, what is it? Uh, I had to get the uh, the arena oh, wow. to uh, bring all the women in, and I had ten of my colleagues from uh, Donna, Congresswoman, and First Lady, and the Mayor, and Comptroller of Maryland, who's also a black woman, and one of my sorority sisters. Uh, and uh, the state's attorney, who is my next-door neighbor, uh, who's a woman also. And I brought all these different women in to talk about things that impact women. Uh, So those are some of the things that I do. Well, Senator, you have done so much. You have lived a very full and (laughs) interesting life. (laughs) Um, where can people connect with you? So you're, you're going to be building a new website. You're going to be, you know, shifting things in coming months. How can people connect with you? They can still get me on SenatorBarbaraRobinson.com, on uh, BarbaraRobinson.info. Also uh, email me at Barbara4025 at verizon.net okay very good and now you've got several books out you've got six books that you've written and published already where can they find those you can get those also at those same websites or on amazon.com senator robinson thank you so much for taking the time and for appearing on somewhere in the middle with michelle barrard You have just blessed me. It has been my pleasure. We're going to take a quick break for an announcement, and then we'll be back for a chat with Julia Black in our segment, True Talk. Hey, guys, it's me, Michelle Berard, host of Somewhere in the Middle and founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC. Are you feeling like you're stuck and can't move forward? Have you been struggling to birth a big goal like a book or a business? Are you feeling overwhelmed and looking to make changes in your career? If you're at all like me, when that deer in headlights feeling hits you, you just don't know where to begin. Yeah, you can talk with friends or family, but when you're in need of an objective opinion, it helps to speak with someone who's prepared to listen and to provide practical guidance to help you move forward. That's where a coach comes in. That's why I'm so excited to share with you that energy worker and coach Julia Black and I have teamed up to help you get unstuck and start moving toward your goals again. And to make it easy for you, we're offering a complimentary call with one of us to help you start moving forward. All you have to do is go to WeRiseMovement.com to schedule your free insight and inspiration call with either Julia or me. The Insight and Inspiration Call can help you get clear about your goals, uncover hidden challenges that may be hindering your progress, discover steps you can take today to move toward accomplishing your goals, and you'll leave the session feeling renewed, re-energized, and inspired to take action. Visit 
WeRiseMovement.com and schedule your free insight and inspiration call today. That's WeRiseMovement.com. All right, and we are back with Julia Black for our segment of True Talk. Hi, Julia. Hi. Julia, you and I were talking the other day, and I was, I guess, waxing poetic, if you will. I was on my (laughs) soapbox about women starting businesses. And, you know, I was kind of explaining to you why it was so important for me to start a business. And, you know, I've started businesses basically since I got out of college. Almost immediately after getting out of college, I started my first business doing computer graphics. And I've done different businesses with husbands and without them over the years. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But um, the reason that's been so important to me is because, you know, I think it's so important that women have their own money and that we have our own, not just our own money coming in like from a job, although that's great too. But like take, for example, what happened with this recent government shutdown. Um, So many people, 800 thousand people not getting paychecks and and it's scary to think about but most Americans don't have a lot of money saved up you know they say you're supposed to have three months salary and all that but if your paycheck just goes away especially if it's unexpectedly even if you have three months or six months worth of salary saved up to cover your expenses that does not ease the stress that does not ease the uh, anxiety of knowing I don't know where my next money my next income is coming from and I remember going through this as a kid because my mom worked for the federal government and Reagan just cut and I know I'm in Reagan country guys I know that I'm in everybody loves Ronald Reagan but <laughs> Um, whether you love him or not, he cut a lot of jobs. He cut a lot of people out of the government, and that was not necessarily a good thing because people who were disproportionately hurt were um, women and minorities. And he also cut a lot of military people out. Mm -hmm. And um, I know this because I I used to help those folks find jobs, you know, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They were cut from the military. So, people who are very vulnerable in our society were cut out of jobs that were considered to be good, stable jobs, you know, get a good government job. You can be there for a long time and, and really mm-hmm. take care of your family and so forth and so on. And all of a sudden they don't have any work mm-hmm. and they don't have money coming in to take care of their kids. And I think by starting businesses, women in particular can really protect themselves from these types of issues. Um, where where do you stand on that, and and what made you start your business? Um, well, I, I I completely agree with you. I, I I when we're talking about women, what I what I have spent a lot of time thinking about in particular is making sure that women have some kind of skill or education or something that they can actually go do. So even if they are going to stay at home with the kids and be homemakers and, um, and, and raise their children, which is amazing and great and wonderful that they should still be, they should still have some kind of a skill to make sure that they can go out and work in some way. Um, When we take that a step further, like you're talking about in regards to opening a business, I think that's a, I think that is even better actually, because you have a lot more control over um, your schedule. You have a lot more control over how much money you're bringing in um, and what, what all you need to do, how you need to arrange your schedule to make sure that you can take care of your kids and, or your parents or, um, you know, all of the things that you want to do. Um, when it comes to me, I actually started my own business because um, I was, I, I hit an interesting wall or I got I guess, in, I guess it's technically the glass ceiling. Um, although I didn't have, 
um, there, there wasn't many places for me to grow. I, I was the only technical, I was in a corporate environment. I was the only technical writer and editor in my company. Um, and when I first started, um, that was all fine and good. Um, everyone kind of valued me and everything was great. And then the company was purchased, sold. Um, and the new company that took over um, didn't quite value my skills as much as the original company did. And so there wasn't, the new company didn't give cost of living raises, for example. Um, the only way that you could um, get a raise was if you were promoted, which I couldn't do because I was the only one there. Um, and um, I also, the amount of work that I did was dependent on the amount of work I got from everybody else. So if there weren't a lot of projects, which I had no control over, there was no way for me to get enough hours in for them to say, oh, wow, she's working really hard. We should give her a raise. Um, so what I was finding was that I was increasingly less valued um, and working harder and uh, it was just it was just kind of time to go. The new culture didn't quite square with what I wanted. So um, spent quite a bit of time um, over a year actually financially planning for us to do this. It required my husband to get another job that was making more money so that um, he could cover you know, things that we thought that we thought were important, health insurance, all of that stuff. Um, and then we saved a whole bunch of money um, so that we would have kind of a nest egg so that I could start this business. Um, and it hasn't necessarily been easy. It's requiring my brain to be completely restructured in a way that, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of times, I've said this before, a lot of times I feel like I'm in a, a Peanuts cartoon. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Um, you know, <laughs> people start talking about business and I have no idea what's going on. Um, but I can certainly see very quickly, actually, um, that my potential for growth um, financially is already much bigger than it was um, when I was in the corporate world. Oh, definitely. Definitely. That's one of the, I think that's one of the things that's hardest to, to kind of wrap your brain around though, you know, because we're used to, if you're working a job, you're used to getting a paycheck for a set amount mm -hmm. and you live within those boundaries. God willing, then the river don't rise. Right. Right. <laughs> but what that also does with you saying, okay, I've got this budget and I'm going to do this. It also tends to make your thinking a little, I don't want to say small, but it does limit your thinking a little bit in terms of what you can earn because uh -huh. then you tend to think of your earnings in terms of what other people are willing to pay as opposed to what you are able to command. And right. It's very, it's a, it, to me, that's a significant difference. The so wording you know, to some people it might sound like, oh, that's just a game of semantics, but it's not really, you know, it's you deciding how much money do I want to make? And then how am I going to go get it? Exactly. And deciding your value. Well, yeah. And I think, and even, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I can say, you know, so, so I'm a copywriter, I'm a content editor. I write blog posts and newsletters and those kinds of things. Um, and I can say, this is how much I charge. And if someone doesn't want to pay it or they say that they can't, then it's like, okay, you know, here are some other options. You know, maybe you don't want my new client package or maybe you don't feel like you can afford that or, but here are some other things that you can do. And if you think that it's, and if you think that it's valuable and that it's helpful and that we click and, and it will work, then you'll figure out a way to do it. And if they don't want it, then that's fine too. Right, because not everything is for everybody. Um, no, it's not. You know, the people, I, I, I have a very, um, I'm, I'm very clear about things. Like I was talking to somebody this morning. They asked me to look at their website. They asked me to look at the content. Um, and I looked at it, and I was clear. I said, you know, the, the text on your website is kind of sterile. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not engaging. Um, that's okay. That happens. Um, so I'm going to be really forthright, but I can also say I know how to solve the problem. And if they think that my solutions are worth it, then they'll pay me. Um, and already, 
um, I'm working fewer hours um, than I am doing other, you know, than I was working before, and I'm making the same amount of money. So um, that means that I have time to, you know, go to my yoga classes and have lunch with my friends if I need to and be there to do other kind of things that I need to make sure that I live a more balanced life. Um, that wasn't necessarily possible when I was in the corporate world. Um, and that, that's a huge problem in the United States too. You know, we have, we work more than any other industrialized world country. Mm-hmm. We, we really do. The Europeans have more uh, vacation time that they take mm-hmm. and they have more parental leave. You know, some countries have parental leave. Some countries have matern- maternal right. leave. But they have more of it, whichever combination of those they have. Um, and people are expected to take their time off. Where in the United States, there's almost a sense, although it does, it's a little different in the tech industry because the tech industry is kind of a work hard, play hard mentality. Yeah. But um, in most companies, there's almost like a shame to you taking time off, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they'd rather have you... They, they, they're like I found that in a job where I was very recently, I felt like there was a problem sometimes with you taking too long a period off at one time. Like if you wanted to take two weeks off, unless you were certain certain times of the year. But if you wanted to just dip out and get Starbucks and come back, you were cool. <laughs> you know, you could dip out yeah. to Starbucks sixteen times a day and you were cool. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, fortunately it was near my kid's school, so if I had to run out and get him and come back, that was cool. But I always felt like there was a little bit of pressure, like, oh, but don't take two weeks off at Christmas, even though there's none of our primary clients were working during Christmas. Right. So and I, yeah. ideal time to take time off, because guess what? Guess who's not calling you? The exactly. <laughs> well, and, you know, where I was at, we were in the consulting industry, and so everything was dependent on what clients wanted which deadlines um and if they what they would do is they would set deadlines for you know right after a vacation so if we were working with a public agency they'd set something up and say okay we want it done on january 2nd and that meant that we were working yep between christmas and new year's um and so you know or i was working you know there there was new that for a couple of years there there were numerous weeks where i was doing 60 70 hour weeks working for somebody else and i still was barely making enough money to just kind of pay my rent i mean we're in california so rent prices were high but um but it was this it was the same kind of thing where now you know i can set you know within i I'm still building my business, and so I'm not. Um, I'm. I still haven't built up making what I was making before, but I will this year. Um, and give me, you know, by this time, in two years from now, I'll be making as much, if not more, than my husband, um, assuming that things continue to grow. And that's a very quick thing to do. Where it took me 12 years to get to, you know, to build, you know, from going. You know, I think I started at $18 an hour and left at $30 an hour, and it took me 12 years to get there. Um, but I still, you know, I can charge a lot more now and make the same amount of money in the next couple of years. Well, and that's why I think it's really important because women actually drive uh, a lot of the financial decisions in the United States, you know, even if we're married or uh, we're not head of household. We drive a lot of those financial decisions because we do the most purchasing. Mm-hmm. Most people want to admit that or not. Men get paid more typically. Um, mm-hmm. Men, on average, earn I think they say about seventy-two cents uh, on the dollar to a man. And then when you factor in African American, Hispanic women, those numbers get even lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're looking at closer to sixty-six or sixty-seven cents, I believe it is. Uh, on the dollar to a man, but women actually drive most of the financial decisions, including, especially if they have children, because then they're purchasing not just for the household, but for the kids and kids, mm-hmm. And there are also tons of, of costs associated with kids that women are responsible for. So mm-hmm. I think really the upshot of this is I want women to spend a little time thinking about 
um, the possibility of if not being entrepreneurial in your job in a way that can get you more money because you can have an entrepreneurial mindset in a job and that can propel you forward I know that's the approach I've taken uh, in every job I've ever had I tend to be entrepreneurial I look for for problems I can solve mm. you know, ways that I can learn new things and apply that knowledge and expertise to get more money but you can also do that for yourself and you do have knowledge you do have experience you do have education that there is some skill there's some knowledge that you have that you can leverage mm -hmm. and do better for yourself and for your family that would be yeah. my my thoughts I would, I, yeah, and I would, and above and beyond that, I would say, you know, I, the, the biggest thing I found with finding a business is to find something that you're good at and that people need, um, and then begin doing it while you're working your current job, and so then you, then you can actually see what the market's like. Is it easy? Okay. Um, is it not easy? Okay, too. Then, you, you know, if, if, if you're having problems finding clients or getting money or um, what you thought was going to work ended up being a flop, then that's fine. You still have your job to fall back on and then get to a point where you're making enough money doing the new thing that you can actually quit your job. Um, if that's, you know, if, if, if you're out of work or you were laid off, then, then it's obviously a different situation. But... Um, but try it, you know? Yeah, my thought is, what's the worst that can happen, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, part of it for me is that I, for a very, very long time, I'm, I'm much, much better now than I was, but I, but I was terrified of failure. And so it never, occur, it never occurred to me to start my own business because, well, what if it fails? What if, you know, what if I don't make enough money? What if I don't, you know, well, okay. Um, but what if it but what if it goes right? What if it's so wildly successful that um, that you can quit your job in six months? And that has happened. Stranger uh, things have happened. Oh, right? I yeah, there are some there are some people that I am watching closely that I'm fascinated with how they are able to make so much money um, in a short period of time. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's really the thing is it's really easy for us to question ourselves, but this is an opportunity, especially if um, folks who have gone through this most recent government shutdown or if you've been through a layoff recently, this may be an opportunity for you to think differently and, you know, explore those opportunities. And if you all have any questions, you want to reach out to Julia and me, feel free to do so. You can uh, contact us at WeRiseMovement.com and have a conversation with us. Just, we will be glad to sit down, spend 15, 20 minutes talking with you, hear your ideas and give you some feedback and maybe some suggestions. Absolutely. You know, I think I, you know, I, I look at everything that I'm doing now um, and I wish I had started earlier or I, you know, I, I'd been kind of doing freelancing stuff on and off for a long time. Um, but didn't really take it seriously because I, because I was too afraid. Um, and once I started kind of pushing through all of that fear, um, it was, I, I'm actually really, really glad that I did. Well, I think it's great that you did. I'm excited that I did. And I think that there's so many women out there who can do some fabulous things for themselves and for their families. So you guys, you know, make the effort, even if, even if it sounds like a pie-in-the-sky idea, it can't hurt. Try it out. See what happens. And, Julia, thank you so much for being on True Talk. Thanks for having me. So that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you guys tune into the show on March 8, 2019, when my guest will be wellness and professional development coach, Willie Tate. You can find us every Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the somewhereinthemiddlepodcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.